Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have you with us as we continue our series on a movement or a holiness movement. Uh, this promises to be an, a reorientation about the brand of Christianity that God intended from eternity past that Jesus came and modeled on planet earth and he ascended to heaven in order to send us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live that brand that he died and rose again to purchase by his blood. And we spoke about uh, this series uh, going to be a, a, a three series in one, if you like. Uh, in, uh, starting from today, we're going to look at the foundations, the motivations uh, that basically spells out the why we should live a holy life, live that brand of holiness. Uh, later on in the next few episodes, we're going to look at the failures, the warnings uh, that we need to adhere to. Otherwise, we're going to consider holiness with a dismissive attitude. And the last one, we're going to look at factors, various factors that would enable us, that would promote within us a life of holiness. So uh, allow me today to begin uh, our discussions of the foundations, the why that every follower of Jesus is invited to live a holy life to embrace the holiness uh, movement. And uh, the foundations of, uh, of a holiness movement, of a life of holiness, is repeatedly uh, articulated throughout the scripture. We mentioned this last time in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. Peter says to the believers as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy. Why, Peter? Because I am holy, because God is holy. The, the, the foundation that enables us to live as holy, the motivation, the because is because God is holy. Again, the Lord spells it out to the Jewish nation in, in Leviticus chapter 11 and verses 44 to 45. He says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Notice, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord and the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's uh, the name Yahweh, who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. The foundation, the first foundation for us living our holy life is spelled out by God Almighty Himself and says, Therefore, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Not because you're going to gain something, because, uh, not because you're going to lose something, but simply because I am holy. Again, Jesus himself tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 48, says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect is teleos, and the amplified uh, in, um, translation uh, expresses that verse in a beautiful way. It says, You, therefore, will be perfect, 
growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values in your daily lives as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus intended for His followers, every follower, to be holy. Why? The foundation of that pursuit of holiness is because our heavenly Father is holy because our heavenly father is holy you see an encounter with a holy god cannot leave us the same way an encounter with the holy god has the capacity to transform us that we would want to live and that we are empowered to live a holy life here on earth i'd like to share with you one of the most uh, uh, you know, uh, prominent passages on the holiness of God that shares with us the nature of God. And, uh, and this particular passage comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And in it, Isaiah encounters God's holiness and it transforms his life. Look at how he narrates the story. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, and uh, for you to know, King Uzziah actually reigned since the age of 16. He reigned for about 52 years. And for the great part, he was an adherent of God, a servant of God. Uh, but eventually, he um, you know, uh, wandered away and God actually disciplined him with leprosy. However, having a king that reigned for 52 years, it was a time of stability in Israel. It was a time where there was, uh, you know, uh, uh, peace and, 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 and eco economical stability. But at this stage, when the king of Israel was going, uh, um, departed, died, there was an opportunity for Assyria, uh, who were becoming more increasingly aggressive, to enter into the neighborhood and even subdue the people of God. So this was a transition period, a time of no stability and maybe even a time of concern for God's people and the prophet Isaiah. And in this year, he said, he went to the temple and says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah sees God high and exalted and lifted up. He's sitting on a throne above the earth. He's sitting in control of the universe. He is now seeing God, the Lord, to be sovereign. The word Lord, L-O-R-D, uh, small o-r-d, is basically a title for God when they didn't mention Yahweh. This meant, uh, uh, you know, a, a sovereign one. It's a title of God being sovereign. And it may be a, a manifestation of, uh, of Christ. It may be an expression of Christ. Uh, in this way and we see him highly exalted he is sovereign he is seated on the throne the king uh, Uzziah actually died yet God was still alive and in control 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. That means God was in touch with humanity. God was in touch with his people. His robe touched the temple. His robe touched the earth. He was not oblivious to what was going on in their lives. They were, he was not oblivious to their concern. He was not oblivious to their flaws and shortcomings and sin. He was not oblivious to their heart aches. God is concerned about His people. He's sovereign and He's other, but He is concerned and He's intimate. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And here is a, a very interesting description of a heavenly scene. Uh, the, the seraphim are, are, are the, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, heavenly beings are not very, uh, um, you know, we're not very familiar with them throughout the rest of the scripture. However, they, they are illustrated here to be in the presence of God and they got smacked by the majesty of God. They, they with two wings, they cover their faces just like if the sun was so bright and, and we almost cover our faces from the, 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 the extreme light and the majesty of that incredible brightness. And the same thing as those uh, uh, heavenly beings are in God's presence. They're saying, oh my goodness, this is far too much glory, far too much majesty, far too much brightness. And then with two wings, they cover their feet. And most commentators tell us that they cover their feet as if they're saying we withhold our rights to make any decisions, to go anywhere without being instructed by God. You see, obedience happens as we encounter the majesty of God. And as uh, heavenly beings were flying with the other two wings because they were at God's call. Anytime he said something, bang, they went and accomplished it. Those beings were, were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice the thrice uh, holy repetition here. In the Hebraic uh, way of, of communicating, they would uh, mention something that they want to emphasize twice. Just as Jesus would say, you know, truly, truly, uh, I say to you, uh, every time there is a, a, a double mention or a repetition twice, it declares something is, 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 is needing to be emphasized. It's almost like in our English language where we bold some words or we, or we highlight some words or put them in italics or whatever it might be. That, the, that was the way uh, they wrote uh, a, a, an emphasis in those days to, to highlight the magnificence of this. But in this case, it's a three times repetition where they sharing holy, holy, holy. It is so incredibly important. It's so incredibly unique. It's so incredibly magnificent. Listen up. This is huge. They're saying holy, holy, holy. And throughout the scripture, we are never taught or we never read that 
a repetition of similar, uh, um, you know, thrice the repetition, for example, merciful, 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 or kind, 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 or mighty, mighty, mighty. This is the only time because it shows the incredible nature of God. Uh, The word holy means he's separate, he's transcendent, he is other. He is apart from everything we know. He's so completely different from creation, from his creation, from us. His thoughts are so much, uh, are so different from our thoughts, his emotions, his will, his plans. He is so unique, he's so supreme, he's so majestic. In fact, some writers would say that the word holy here, holy, 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 is a shorthand for the excellence of His perfection. The excellence of His perfection, His goodness, His purity, His awesome character. God is amazing and and, and Isaiah is being Uh, launched is being presented in this environment and he's like my goodness God is unique God is crazy God is like is incomprehensible he is majestic beyond my wildest dreams so that God and encountering that holy God has an incredible an incredible transforming power over the life of Isaiah and it would have the same impact over our lives. Isaiah continues uh, to narrate that scene and says, At the sound of their voices, the angelic beings, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is an, a, a, a sign of the presence of God. Uh, the fire and the smoke was well-known metaphor in the, in the Old Testament of the presence of God with His people. What happened? Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined. He realized how incredibly messed up he is when compared to this incredible, holy, majestic, awesome, pure God that allowed him to encounter his presence. It says, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Which king now? It's the Lord Almighty. Uzziah the king is gone, but I've seen the real king. I may have placed my trust in the king of my nation, but I now understand that the real king is the one that I must rely fully on. He's sovereign, he's unique, he's awesome, he's majestic, he's excellent in his perfection. And, 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 and Isaiah straight away looks at his unclean lips. Why? Potentially because he's a prophet. A prophet is almost like the, 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 the main instrument of communication between God and God's people. That is his identity. He's a prophet which is linked to his lips. He's saying, Anna, I'm unclean person. I am unclean in who I am. You know why? Because since the virus of sin came into us as humans... It distorted our identity. 
regardless of who we are since the fall, our identity is no longer uh, in a way that God intended to be to reflect the character of our Creator. And, and we understand even from the teachings of Jesus that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there is unclean lips, it's a reflection of an unclean heart, of an unclean hardware, of an unclean internal being. So here, all of the sudden, because he saw the holiness of God, now Isaiah is being confronted with his impurity, with his mess, with his uncleanliness. And, and how come Isaiah, all of a sudden you saw that about yourself? Why you didn't see that a little bit earlier? You probably thought that you were eating a bit, that you were, that you were God's gift to earth. He says, oh man, when I compare myself to other people, I might have a convoluted estimation of myself. But in the presence of the Holy One, you know, no wonder Isaiah kept saying throughout his book, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. He was gobsmacked by the holiness of his God and he realized how messed up he is. This is genuine conviction. The reason why we don't necessarily come to God to be purged, we don't necessarily feel the weight of our uncleanliness is because we haven't had an encounter with the awesome character of our holy God. So we think we are okay, like everybody else. You know, one of the things that troubles me at times when Christians say, you know, if, if, if other Christians are living this way, if other Christians are practicing, you know, this particular sexual sin or, or if un-Christians are addicted to pornography or un-Christians, uh, sorry, Christians are, 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 are living in, a, in an unlawful way, not according to God's standards. If Christians are living this way, then I must be all right. I may be not as bad as them or even if I'm as bad as them well what is God gonna do all of us are messed up but that's not it that is not the standard by which God is inviting us to live life God is inviting us to be holy as he is holy and as he opens our eyes to his grandness his majesty we all of a sudden convicted deeply not pretend repentance true genuine remorse that leads us to say to God, I am I'm messed up, do something with me. And God heard Isaiah's heart. So it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Uh, isn't it amazing uh, that the seraphim grabs the tongs, uh, grabs the coal, uh, with, with tongues, yet he places the call on the bare lips of the, uh, of the prophet. Isn't that freaky? If I was Isaiah, I'd say, hey, 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 just be careful. Put something on my lips. This is going to hurt. This is going to burn. This is going to destroy my lips. You know, a call, a fire, you place that on your lips and you're a goner. You thought you were ruined. He now going to be disfigured. You know, and and, and I, I would imagine the seraphim would say to Isaiah, you know what, that's exactly what we want. We want to destroy the identity. 
We want to purge that wickedness. We want to change that identity. We want you to take away the heart of stone. And we want a heart of flesh. He's saying, I'm going to transform your lips. And therefore, it's an indication of transformation of your own inner wiring, your hardware, your heart, your identity as a man of God. You will be purged. And that fire it may have been picked up from the altar of dedication. You know, where they have the, 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 uh, the sacrifices that get fully consumed. And this was an indication of devotion, of God's people's devotion. Like the sacrifice was fully consumed. It speaks of them being fully consumed by God, living wholeheartedly for God. And I have a sense that the seraphim was saying, we're going to destroy that half-hearted identity. And we're going to give you a wholehearted, full commitment to God, your heavenly King. Isn't that beautiful? There was a transformation that occurred at that moment where the coal touched the, 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 the lips of, of, of the prophet Isaiah. And it's so significant because it's a description of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf that when it touches us, it purges us. Look at what Isaiah says. He says, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is so much bigger than simply a cold that touches your lips. This is a complete and utter purging of who you are, taking away your sin, atoning for it by another sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of the ultimate Lamb of God, and your guilt is done with. This is true, a true repentance that is met with God's sacrifice that changes our heart and therefore it changes our way of living. So here he changed his, his disposition, his identity, his position with God. But look what happens immediately after that. Isaiah continues to say, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. You see what happened in this passage? Isaiah, after being transformed and purged and cleansed, guess that what happens? It transforms his actions. It changes his purpose. It creates within, within him a, a, a life of selflessness, a life that is skewed towards obedience to God, a life that is totally dedicated to God's will and God's purposes. He says, here am I, send me. He doesn't know where. He doesn't know what the outcomes. He doesn't know what's going to happen in, on the journey. But that is exactly what occurs in our lives. When we encounter the Holy God, the majestic King, 
we are gobsmacked by His holiness. We are so aware of the revelation of our inner mess. God reveals to us our, our impurity, our lack of holiness, our, our identity that has been distorted because of the virus of sin. But then He comes and He restores us. He changes who we are and therefore He enables us to live the way of God. He changes our identity in order to change our calling because that's what God is always linked together. Our position in Him and our practical living for Him. He does not separate them. And Isaiah says, I don't know where you're sending me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am with you because I am not there to influence others. I am not motivated by influence. I am already influenced by you and therefore I am motivated to live the way you want me to live. You know, sometimes people say, you know, what's going to happen if I don't live in holiness? What, what's going to happen if I don't repent? What's going to happen if I don't walk Christ-like life? I'm, what am I going to miss out on? Uh, you are missing out on everything. You are missing out on a, a privilege of being purged and your identity being restored into the image of God. And you're missing out on your calling to live out for His purposes. Not so you can gain something. But you feel so incredibly touched by the majesty of the king that you want to live wholeheartedly as if you're part of the altar of dedication. You want to live fully consumed by God who absolutely took your breath away by his character. Friends, the reality is this, for us to be motivated for us to discover the foundation, the why, you need to encounter the majesty of our holy God. Believers pursue holiness because it's the natural outcome of encountering a holy God. It's a natural outcome. You don't have to convince someone to live a holy life if they encounter the holy God. Isaiah didn't need a lecture about turning from his uh, you know, uh, evil ways or, or from his uh, unclean state of being to, 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 to beg God for, for, for forgiveness and for cleansing. No, it was an automatic response to encountering the goodness, the majesty, the excellency of God. When we encountered Jesus and we get a glimpse of His holiness, He was considered the Holy One. You can't, you can't, you can't hate the things that He hates, that He, that, that he loves, and you can't love the things that He hates. You can't love the sin that Jesus hates, and you can't hate the good, awesome life of holiness that Jesus modeled and taught his followers. Majestic Jesus provokes within us a desperate desire to live a holy and selfless life. Encountering majestic Jesus, you will have a desperate desire from the inside out to live a holy and selfless life, a Christ-like life. That is the genuine brand of Christianity that Jesus died and rose again 
to launch on planet earth and he's inviting you to encounter the Holy One and to exhibit his nature in the world and that is our prayer for you. Be blessed until we see you in the next episode.